Good evening, everyone. It's really good to see you all here and be in this seat. So, I first want to just say how, how grateful I am to be here. Um, I got a rock star of a team. I've been the fortunate to be on and look at you all. Seven days. Six days. Six and a half. (laughs) Yeah. And it's that time in the retreat where we start feeling like it's really closing. This is the last (laughs) night of the Dharma talks. And for me having been on retreat and also sitting in this seat as well in many cases or variety of seats, it's always a time for me to start doing a little bit of reflection and also start thinking about transition because there's a lot going on that we're really going to be approaching. So what I want to do tonight is talk a little bit about the bridge. The bridge of reflecting where we've been a bit and the bridge of our transition. Um, First, I really want to reflect on the Dharma that I've received. We all have received here. What a blessing this has been. Um, We just had somebody, um, you know, we... You've seen us get food in the line and then we go downstairs and we go to the yurt. So there was a staff person there today at lunch. And um, Erin took her phone out and said, would you take a picture of us, right? So, funny picture. It went from Yong down to me. (laughs) It looked like the descending or maybe ascending way. And then... I got the picture and um, I started thinking to myself, this is clearly a pinch me kind of moment. You know? <coughs> what a gift this has been. And the container that we've been in. We've been held by the retreat managers, we've been held by the land. I don't know how many of you have been able to walk and feel what the mother has been giving us. And sometimes I know for myself when I'm feeling that what might be arising for me and it may feel a little bit more like sorrow than joy, I've walked out to the land and I'm trusting that she'll hold it for me. Especially those times when I can't think I can hold it for myself. And I trust that. And then of course there's been those little critters. Walking along the deer, the turkeys who are not afraid because of what spirit, (laughs) right, in fact, they run this place, Uh, (laughs) pretty much. Another story, another time, I'll tell you a funny story about that. But also the cooks and the retreat managers and the sweetness for me of having been able to support you, support the team and what I have felt is that I have felt your support of me. And I thank you for that. 
And many of you have come to this retreat for a lot of reasons. One, it kind of, you maybe have sat with Tanisara, Kitasaro, Aaron before, and you said, oh, God, they're here. Great. Sign me up. Some of you maybe found, this is my first retreat. I'm going to come. This is the one I'm going to come to. Or some of you found that little sliver of time. I have vacation. The kids are being taken care of. The lawn doesn't have to be watered. Good. I'm taking this little sliver of time. And maybe it was that place in which you said, okay, I, it's this or that, but I'm going to come here. Because what I need right now is I need a little restoration. I need a little bit of renewal. And I need some resourcing and reclaiming. And whatever your inclination was, this has been a precious time for all of us. Because what we've been able to do is cultivate some deep, deep loving awareness. And I don't know about you, but it hasn't been easy. Right? Can I get an amen? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> For me, I've struggled with my focus. I have this wandering mind. I have the judging mind. Doubt. Anxiety. And yet there are times when I found that little sliver of release. I had this experience the other morning when Kitasara was doing the, um, the morning meditation where we were breathing and I just dropped to that place where I went, <gasps> I don't know if you felt that at any point, not in me, but in you, that <gasps> where it's come to you. But it's also kept me really curious What else, where else can I go with this? Where else can I find that place where I'm dropping and having that inhale and that breath? It's allowed me to explore different ways for my practice and for my teaching and different ways that I can support uh, myself in the Dharma. And I've also witnessed a lot of physical places in my body that, as you can see, I sit in a chair most of the time, you know, just really checking in. I don't know, you know, we did a little meditation around where are you at in your body? You know, it's important to do those checks and to figure out what that is. And I've also recognized there's been some mental and physical and emotional fatigue that I've been carrying around. I think, um, Aaron said that story of a, um, a station wagon, right? With all of the boxes in it and all of a sudden you stop and you realize, whoa, the boxes came with me right to the front seat. I was carrying around that type of fatigue. There's so much going on. And, you know, this heart is this big. And I'm, you know, trying to carry what I see, what I feel. And all of this in this container called retreat, dharma, and practice. And then I started thinking, you know, reflecting back, what do I know for sure? What do I really know? 
And it started to remind me of Oprah. We know, you know. I call her Oprah. Some people say Oprah Winfrey. <laughs> I call her Oprah. And she has this, this, I don't know if it was in her TV show or whatever, but it was, what do I know for sure? So I started thinking for myself. Nearly 20 years ago, I stepped onto this campus. And after my first retreat and after my first insight, I realized that I had to keep coming back because I understood that I was on the right path. I know that for sure. I know that right now I'm in teacher training and I realize that at this time in my life it's exactly where I need to be. And I'm finding new ways to figure out how I can really explore my stewardship to the Dharma, to myself, to my community. That much I know for sure. And I have a deep devotion to the freedom of all beings. And I realize it's not just a statement that ends with a period, but it's actually a comma. It's actually just the beginning. That much I know for sure. And I know that I bring my full self, my being a black woman, being a lesbian, being a single mom, grandmother. What? (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) I bring elder in training. I bring wisdom and a fierce tenderness. My entirety I bring. That much I know for true. And most importantly, I realize that I don't practice just for myself. I practice for those who I stand, who have stood before me. Those I stand on the shoulders of. And one woman, I'm just going to put her name in the field because I didn't in the beginning. Her name was Marlene Jones. And she was here on this campus 20 years ago and fought very, very hard to diversify the Sangha and all put her name in the field. But I also practice for seven generations ahead of me. For that sweet grandson I was just talking about. That much I know for sure. But what I also know is I don't do this alone. We don't do it alone. We're not practicing in this container, in this retreat, these beautiful words that we've heard, the Dhamma. We're not practicing to bring full awareness by ourselves. We're actually practicing together. And something tells me that we all know that. Even though they're, you know, we're in our seats there's something palpable in this room. It's, there's energy. Martin Luther King wrote a letter while he was in a Birmingham jail. It's famously known, the letter of Birmingham jail. But one of the things he wrote, and I want to share with you, has touched me year after year over and over again. Quote, Moreover, I am cognizant of the interrelatedness of all communities and states. 
I cannot sit idly by in Atlanta and not be concerned about what happens in Birmingham. Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. We are caught in an inescapable network of mutuality, tied to a single garment of destiny. Whatever affects one affects all indirectly. Can you feel that pulsing in this room? Taking a moment to pause and feel that. We are tied in a single garment of destiny. And I bring this up as a reminder that just stays on my heart, but also it stays in this room as a sangha that third jewel that we chant every morning, our refuges to the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha. When the Buddha first created this jewel in his own community, it was often called a community supreme. And I found this quote, among whatever communities or groups there may be, the Sangha of the Buddha, d- Buddha's disciples, is considered supreme. The four types of noble disciples, when taken as pairs, the eight when taken as persons. Those who have confidence in the Sangha have confidence in what is supreme. And for those with confid- confidence in the supreme, supreme will be the result. And be mindful of time. Um, like I said, 20 years ago, I came onto this campus. Big insight, big aha, kept coming back. Woohoo, right? But each time I left, I kept creating this beautiful sanctuary in my home. I had this little room, and I had a whole ritual in the morning. I'd get up early, I'd light the candles. <sighs> I was a sangha of one. And it was great. I didn't have to talk to anybody. <laughs> and I feel their energies. Oh, they were just, oh, they were wearing those parachute pants. <laughs> Disturbing me. Right? And in about 2009, I was invited to a program called Commit to Dharma. It was a program that was um, a year-long program that was created by Larry Yang at East Bay Meditation Center. So I applied and was accepted, and I was like, oh, yeah, this is great, until I realized there was going to be 20 people there. And I went, oh, no, what happened to my sangha of one? (laughs) But what I realized from that experience, and I have to tell you that I was paired up, I had a buddy, right, like a Dharma sibling, a Dharma sister. And this is nearly 10 years ago now. And I can tell you now that Dharma sibling has my back. So I went through that and, you know, okay, got through it. 2010, was invited to community Dharma leaders. I applied, got accepted, yes. 
until the very first retreat, there were a hundred people here. And I literally almost had a Fred Sanford moment. A <gasps> hundred people. And what I realized is that in that collective, I have literally, I have lifelong friends and partners in the Dharma. People who I have a common language with. People who are on the same path. There's, they're seekers of freedom and liberation. And now last year I started a four-year teacher training program and I actually this time knew there were going to be 20. (laughs) And again, I have found a community that I can rely on, I can be with. I can trust in our collective healing and I can trust in our collective awakening. And I can also trust in our collective breath. And I think we can feel that in this room. I know I felt it in, in the affinity groups this week. In fact, there was something very special this afternoon in each of those groups. Whether it was the final one or more people came, whatever it was, but it was a landing place. We were able to rest together. Larry Yang is a teacher and a mentor of mine, and he wrote a beautiful book, Awakening Together, The Spiritual Practice of Inclusivity and Community. And he writes this, even through our Western cultures often, even though our Western cultures often emphasize the individualistic aspiration to achieve awakening or enlightenment or awareness on our own, or through individual efforts, we are never really alone in the world. Sometimes it takes getting as internally still as possible to viscerally feel that quality of interconnected existence. We are never practicing alone and we can find a profound influence on others around us. Again, this is the container we've created, this sangha, this jewel. Just a short story. A friend of mine I've known for many years, she lives in Colorado, she was telling me that she came to Spirit Rock for a two-month retreat. And she sat next to somebody for a month, for the first month, and never knew their name, never even spoke. They just sat down every single day for 30 days together. And at the end of the retreat, she stayed for two months, so those who were leaving after the month walked by and bowed to everyone who was staying. And she told me that when that person, her neighbor who sat next to her, her, her sangha member, walked by and bowed, she wept in tears and had never known his name. Because that's what can happen when we come together and we're beginning this cultivation of awakening. 
And coincidentally, that person who walked by and bowed was Larry Yang. So as we begin our transition from this retreat, from this sacred hall, with your precious lives, back into your lived life. And I have to tell you, you do have to go home. (laughs) And you will have to cook for yourself. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And as you arrive home, you do not have to take the sameness in which you left. You don't have to take the same busyness, the distractions, the fatigue, the discord, the anger, the joylessness, the confusion, the constriction. You have dropped deeply into something so very precious here. You can always go back to that. And yes, there'll be the the things that happen, but I really, really, really would love to invite you to not go back to the sameness, to remember what you've experienced here. So if you have a sangha, return to it. If you have a community of spirited seekers, engage with them. If you sit for five minutes, yes. Perhaps sit for 10. (laughs) If you don't have a sangha, reach out and find one. We can be carried away from our practice by all the multiplicities of what happens in our lives. And right now, for me, I know my heart is tender. It's time to gather together, collect our minds, and turn towards the sacred. This is what we've been talking about, this turning towards, this awakening to the changing nature that's all around us and in us. Returning to, as we chant every morning to Kuan Yin, returning to the compassionate heart, fully aware, fully awake. This is what's necessary for us right now. It's what's necessary for the world. I spend a lot of time studying and working and cooking and thinking. And so oftentimes I fail to Soften. I fail to touch. I fail to breathe. I fail to be. I simply get caught up in doing. And on my body, I live so much in my my head that I actually measure that it's actually 11 inches from my head to my heart. Somebody, you know, some, I'm sure yours is probably 14 inches. And sometimes it's the longest journey I've ever made. This interconnectedness 
Martin Luther King also had a vision of a beloved community, Sangha. And it mirrors the words of Thich Nhat Hanh who says, when he speaks of Sangha, it is probable that the next Buddha will not take the form of an individual. The next Buddha may take the form of a community, a community practicing understanding and loving kindness, a community practicing mindful living. This may be the most important thing we can do for the survival of the earth. So this is what I know for true. This is the Dharma path that is illuminated. It's shining as bright as the innate wisdom and goodness that I'm resting in. It's like that full moon where you don't have to turn the lights on, it's just shining. Two last things before I close. Again, from Larry Yang's book. He says, there is tremendous injustice and unfairness in our cultures, our society, our nation, and our world. And there is freedom. This freedom is not dependent upon life being fair or just. True freedom does not require, we require us to be in a place where there are no problems, struggle, or oppression. True freedom means being in the midst of all and any and all of those things and still having clarity in our minds, tenderness in our hearts, and integrity in our actions. True freedom allows us to move through even our most difficult struggles for the benefit of us all without recreating cycles of suffering and abuse for others. True freedom brings true happiness. This is the kind of happiness and freedom we seek together. This is how we awaken in community and awaken together. It's a very special time in our lives right now. We can take this beautiful sacred, this reclaiming where we have lost, the missteps we may have taken. It's a wonderful time to not forget. It's one thing to It's one thing to cultivate awakening. It's quite another to stay woke. (laughs) So lastly, before I close, I'm going to read a poem that I think is really important for these times. It's from the Hopi Elders. You've been telling the people that this is the 11th hour. Now you must go back and tell the people that this is the hour. And there are things to be considered. 
Where are you living? What are you doing? What are your relationships? Are you in right relation? Where is your water? Know your garden. It's time to tell the truth. Create your community. Be good to each other and do not look outside yourself for the leader. This could be a good time. There is a river flowing now very fast. It is, no, it is so great and swift that there will be those who will be afraid. They will try to hold on to the shore. They will feel they're being torn apart and they will suffer greatly. Know the river has its destination. The elders say we must let go of the shore, push off into the middle of the river, keep our eyes open and our our heads above the water. See who's in there with you and celebrate. At this time in history, we are to take nothing personally, least of all ourselves. For the moment that we do, our spiritual growth and journey comes to a halt. The time of the lone wolf is over. Gather yourselves. Banish the word struggle from your attitude and vocabulary. All that we do now must be done in a sacred manner and in celebration. We are the ones we've been waiting for. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.